Behind the Knife, the surgery podcast, where we take a behind-the-scenes, intimate look at surgery from leaders in the field. Welcome back to Behind the Knife. This is Patrick Georgioff. We've got a great episode for you today. It's from our friends at the Colorectal Surgery Education Series. Now, to be clear, these are fellow-level scenarios not intended for the general surgery oral boards. If you like what you hear, be sure to check out www.crsvirtualed.org for more information. Again, that's crsvirtualed.org for more information. You can also watch this episode on our brand spanking new website. Check it all out at www.behindthenife.org. Again, that's behindthenife.org. That's our same address as our previous website. We are thrilled with the new website. Uh, We are finally able to host all our content in one place. And everything is organized. It's easily searchable, including podcasts and videos, which you can also check out by topic or by series. And we are now offering 100% free Category 1 CME credits for doctors, nurses, and advanced practice providers. All you have to do is listen to a single episode, answer two of three multiple-choice questions correct, and voila, you have a free CME credit. Go to the website and check it all out, and don't miss our hot new merch. One other important announcement to go along with these stellar colorectal mock orals is that we've been working hard putting together the most premier of premier general surgery oral board review series, including over 120 super high quality mock oral cases recorded in an entirely unique fashion to maximize learning and retention. Release date is going to be early 2022. Thanks for listening. Now uh, enjoy these mock orals. So let's move on to examining number two. Uh, Is examining number two ready? Hi. Yeah, I'm ready. Let's do it. All right. Excellent. Okay. So two scenarios for you. I'm going to get started with number one. Let me just get my timer. All right. So uh, you are seeing a 27-year-old female who is on steroids and Remicade for the last six months um, and uh, for ulcerative colitis. Her symptoms are mostly bleeding and diarrhea. She has about 10 bowel movements per day. She's been able to taper down to 15 milligrams of prednisone a day, but if she tries to go below 15, uh, then her bleeding gets worse. So our gastroenterologist said it's time for you to talk to a surgeon. So she comes to your office. So what would you do from there? So I get a sense of her quality of life. And um, it sounds like she's um, failing medical management. And so I'd want to know more about um, her abdominal exam and her incontinence um, before I talk to her about um, the possible surgeries, my anticipated total proctal colectomy. Um, Yes. Okay. Um, so she has no incontinence issues. Her continence is normal. Um, her quality of life is pretty bad. She doesn't like having 10 bloody bowel movements a day. Um, so she's getting pretty frustrated from that. Um, the, the, um, before I go on to the physical exam, um, I'll just any other history that you'd want to ask about? Yeah, I wanted to ask about any plans for children, um, any uh, fertility issues would have to be discussed in this history because of the possibility of infertility. Sure. So she's had two C-sections before and she's done having kids. Okay, great. Um, and then any, any history of uh, colon cancer in the family, um, Crohn's disease, this could be Crohn's still. I'd also want to review the colonoscopy and make sure I have a discussion with the GI doctor about uh, the, 
the diagnosis of UC? Sure. So um, no significant family history um, of colorectal cancer or IBD. Um, she had a colonoscopy six months ago and showed mild pan mild pancolitis from the cecum down to the rectum. Okay, great. And then I'd want to know uh, if she's had any imaging, uh, any liver complaints, abdominal complaints. I want to check. I want to send her for labs, CBC, Chem7, LFTs. Uh, there's any concern for abdominal right upper quadrant pain. Um, I get MRI, MRCP to look for PSC, primary sclerosing cholangitis. Okay, um, so you have, um, you mentioned the physical before. She has mild suprapubic pain and mild tenderness in the left lower quadrant, but no peritonitis. Um, she has a pan and seal incisions from her C-sections. Um, she does have a MR enterography that her gastroenterologist had gotten recently. Um, this shows colitis from the transverse colon to the anus. The small bowel is all normal. Uh, the liver is normal. Her labs are all unremarkable. Okay, great. I want to make sure I do a perianal exam and make sure there's no uh, concern for fistulizing Crohn's disease. Uh, do a digital rectal exam, examine her tone uh, to confirm that she doesn't have any uh, incontinence problems. I, I think you said she does not. She does not. Anal rectal exam is unremarkable. And okay, great. So I, mm -hmm. Okay, so you know, in this setting, I'd say um, after I assess her nutritional status, um, if she's having weight loss, and checking for an albumin, I'd be discussing with her uh, a total proctocolectomy um, with a diverting lupuliostomy um, with a J pouch. Um, you know, if it, I'd start there. I get, I get assess her nutrition status and see how sick she is at this time. Okay, so um, her albumin is two point four. Um, her ANC is a little bit low. Her CRP is uh, is forty. Um, and, um, and yeah, she, and she's, she's lost about 15 pounds in the last six months. Okay. So she sounds miserable and sick. Does not sound like the uh, best candidate for a two stage approach. So I'd, uh, talked to her about a subtotal colectomy of endoleostomy to help treat her symptoms and give her time to eat more food, talk to a dietitian nutritionist. Um, and improve her albumin, improve her overall nutrition status before a completion proctectomy, J pouch, and diverting lupuliostomy. Okay, so describe your technique. Uh, so, for my laparoscopic total colectomy, um, I start by mobilizing the right colon. Um, I find the ileocolic artery and make sure that the duodenum is uh, away. Um, for my dissection plane, and after medial lateral dissection and taking down the right colon, proceed with uh, the transverse colon um, and then the left colon uh, with, with care to preserve the left ureter um, after getting the IMA. Uh, I would not do a high ligation because this is not a cancer case. Uh, after reviewing the colonoscopy, making sure there's no concern for dysplasia, um, and then I would mature an endoleostomy. And what would you do with the rectal stump? I would oversew the rectal stump and leave a transangle drain uh, to try to minimize any risk for um, a rectal stump blowout. I would have uh, checked it beforehand to see if there's any active inflammation uh, before operating. Okay, so uh, you get her through that surgery. She does fine. You wean her off of her steroids. She gets off of her Remicade. She gains some weight. She's healthy. And uh, six months later, she comes back and she's ready for the next step. Um, and after you discuss everything, you decide to do a J pouch. 
Um, so you bring her back for your, her completion parctectomy and uh, IPAA, um, and you go to bring down the small bowel, you're about to make your enterotomy and the pouch doesn't reach. What are some options that you can do now to try to get the pouch to reach? Okay, make sure all um, small bowel adhesions are carefully lysed, and then I'd retract on the terminal ilium and, and make sure the peritoneum is freed from the base of the ileocolic all the way to the ligament of trites, and um, also make transverse uh, relaxing incisions in the anterior peritoneum with care to preserve the vessels. Um, I'd also consider taking down the mobilizing the adenum to try to get additional reach. And um, if, if all that fails, I would suture the pouch to the within the pelvis and continue with the ileostomy and come back in a year to, to re-examine. Okay, so let me just change this a little bit. What if you had uh, backed up before her total colectomy? You decided to book her for a colectomy. You have her on the schedule for uh, six weeks from now because that's how far you're booking out. And, um, you know, a couple of weeks later, she comes to the ER because instead of 10 bloody valvulins a day, she's now having 25. Um, and she's got a low-grade temp of 100.4. Her heart rate's 115. Her pressures are 90 over 40. And she just kind of looks like crap. Okay. So I'm concerned about toxic colitis. Uh, I want to get abdominal x-ray. I want to examine her for peritonitis. Um and get abdominal x-ray to start, send some labs, get some large bore IVs, resuscitate her with IV fluids, send cultures, but start broad spectrum antibiotics and get some IV steroids, um, hydrocortisone. Okay, so and you make do, sure that I'm going to be resuscitating her. Okay, so you do that. Her labs um, show a white count of 16,000. Her albumin is 1.8 now. Um, the rest of her lights are okay. Um, you get a CT scan that shows some uh, diffuse thickening of the, col of the transverse and descending colon with a maximal diameter of the transverse colon of about eight centimeters. Okay, so there's no free air or free fluid on the CT scan. Um, so I would uh, continue to resuscitate her in the, in the uh, ICU with IV fluids as well as uh, broad spectrum anamyxosin and um, okay. IV steroids. Two days later, no difference. Okay, so she's not improving with medical management. So I talked to her and consent her for a laparoscopic subtotal colectomy and uh, end ileostomy. Okay, very good. Time. Time, yep, great. Examine you too. I'm gonna go yep. back to the same patient that we started talking about. 27-year-old female is having a total abdominal colectomy for toxic colitis. Let's say you did a total colectomy and you were preparing her and prehabbing her for a J pouch and pathology mm -hmm. showed that she had stage four cancer in the colon specimen. How would your plans change? Uh, I'd make sure that she was fully staged with a CA and a CT scan of the chest, abdomen, pelvis with IV and PO contrast, and ask about her family history and refer for genetic testing because she's only 27 okay. in genetic counseling. So you do all of that. She's MS stable. There is no other genetic abnormalities that she has. She has no family history. There's no metastatic disease. She says, am I still getting my J pouch? Um, I, I, I'm sorry, I have to clarify. Where was the cancer found in the biopsy? Is the colon specimen after the total colectomy? Is that right? Yes, in the sigmoid. Okay. Um, yes, I think she, she's still a candidate. Um, a sigmoid colon cancer wasn't rectal cancer. So I'd say, 
yes, I do think she's still a candidate for pouch surgery. I'd make sure that um, we check the rectum again and biopsy anything suspicious before proceeding and, and let her know that, yes, there is a risk of um, cancer. That you're going to do before you do the pouch? So after the total colectomy, uh, before the pouch, uh, after completely staging her, um, I'd, I'd want to know what the CA level was and if there's any evidence of metastatic disease. Uh, there's no evidence of metastatic disease and her CEA was 12. Okay. Um, you know, I'd want to discuss this case at a tumor board uh, with the GI docs, Medonc, and um, with this elevated CA even after the colectomy. I'd be, I'd want to get a PET scan and make sure I'm not missing anything else, any kind of uh, other metastatic disease that might be missed on the CT scan. Okay. I'm going to change the scenario a little bit. So we're going to the patient status post total abdominal colectomy and deliostomy. It's post-operative day five. The patient finally has bowel function back and she appears well, but she's having three and a half liters coming out of her ileostomy daily for the past two days. How are you going to manage this? Okay, so um, I make sure she's on IV fluid resuscitation, and I'd increase her fiber intake daily. Um, okay, not what's the fluid order that you're putting in, doctor? I'm sorry, could you say that one more time? What's the fluid order you're putting in? Uh, I'm going to be putting in resuscitative fluids, normal saline, um, with 20 of K, and checking her electrolytes, making sure they're repeated every day. And the intern pages you and says, what rate should I be running them at? What orders do I put in? Okay, so I'd want to assess her urine output and her vital signs to see if she's at all hypotensive. If she is, I'd, I'd bolus not her two liters. Say that again? It's not hypotensive. Okay, so I'd want to know her weight, and um, I'd use the 421 rule for uh, maintenance fluids. So if she's 50 kilograms, um, roughly 110, 120 cc's an hour. Okay. So you run that for 24 hours and you add more fiber and it makes no impact. What are you going to do next? Okay. So I'm going to try loperamide, um, two milligram tablets, one up to four times a day. Okay. You add your loperamide and it doesn't do anything. What next? I try Lamotil, also five milligram tablets up to four times a day. Okay. So maxed out on Imodium and loperamide. It goes okay. down to about two liters a day. What okay. else are you? I uh, also consider cholestyramine, um, which could be bowel, bowel loss, and um, tincture of opium. Okay. Are we able to order tincture of opium easily now? Let's say I, I am at my institution. What else could you do? Um, besides tincture of opium, codeine is another option. Okay. And she asked the stoma nurse if there's anything dietary-wise that she can do. Yeah, so I'd have her on um, more applesauce, bananas, um, rice diet. Okay. And when do you send her home? Uh, when her output is less than 1250, um, I would send her home. Okay. And tolerating the diet. Okay. So different scenario, the same patient does well, comes back to the clinic six weeks from surgery to discuss closing her ostomy. What are you going to do? How are you going to work up the patient for stoma closure? Um, so this is a patient that's had her pouch and is ready to have her 
had a total abdominal colectomy and once the J pouch. Oh, yeah. Sorry, the patient has had a uh, total abdominal colectomy, restorative procto uh, with the J pouch, and she wants her ileostomy closed. She wants the third stage. Okay. Yeah. So um, I would make sure her nutritional status is optimized and um, tolerating um, her diet. Albumin is 30, albumin is four and a half. Okay. Yeah. So I consent her for ileostomy. Okay. So she signs her oh, yeah. consent for ileostomy closure. Is there any tests you want to do beforehand? Oh, before taking down the leostomy, if for a patient that's had a pouch, I'd want to make sure there's no pouch leak. I do a pouchoscopy and um, take some biopsies beyond into the ileum, uh, proximal to the pouch as well. And I'd also do um, a barium enema to, to look for any leak, the tip of the J or the anastomosis. Okay. So you see nothing on your pouchoscopy, your biopsies are negative for Crohn's disease or anything else that you were looking for. And your water-soluble contrast enema shows a small posterior leak with a three centimeter by one centimeter pocket behind the pouch. Patient's asymptomatic. How are you going to manage this? I would tell her that I, we need to wait and repeat the studies again in three months. Okay. Do you do any examinations? Yeah, I would take a look with the pouchoscopy to see if um, I, I can see this defect and place a small drain to drain it directly to try to close down that space. And um, if that doesn't work, I'd consider a, a small vac sponge um, as a second line therapy and then, okay. and then wait. Yeah. So she comes back, you do your endovac, you take that out after a month, you do your DRE and you make sure she doesn't have an anastomotic stricture. Then you take her to close without any issue. Different scenario. 28-year-old female who's two years after a double-stapled pouch for ulcerative colitis and calls you with new onset frequency, urgency, and low-grade fevers. She's eating well. She doesn't have any other signs or symptoms. What are you concerned about with her two years out? Two years out, I'm concerned for um, pouchitis or missed Crohn's disease, um, Lilium. And so I, I do pouchoscopy and biopsy and empirically started on a cipro-inflagel for two weeks to see how our symptoms react to that. Okay, so you do your pouchoscopy, you see there's friability of all of the mucosa in the pouch uh, from the top of the anastomosis, the anal cuff itself looks fine, there's no strictures, and the pre-pouch ileum looks fine. Uh, your biopsies reveal acute on chronic inflammation. You give her her antibiotics and she's doing well initially. And she calls you back a month later with recurrence of the same symptom. She's feeling terrible and asking for antibiotics again. What do you do? Um, I would make sure she has a CT scan, make sure she doesn't have any other uh, concerning findings. I'd also repeat the, I'd repeat the pouchoscopy and biopsy again and, and change my antibiotics. If I did ciproflagellate last time, I did, I'd do augmentin this time. Okay. Anything else you want to do? Um, I would also try some sucroflate enemas. Okay. All right, that's time. Great. Well done. All right. Let's rewind back to the first case, which was the 27-year-old woman with UC. Deb, how do you do? I think you did really well. You have a great breadth of knowledge. When you started talking about nutritional status, you, you won me over. You, you had me at nutrition. Um, the fancy word that you want to use to endear all of your examiners is prehabilitate. You want to prehabilitate your patient and get them planned for surgery. Um, 
And you want to know the steps when you're doing the procedure itself that are really specific to UC. Again, you're not a general surgeon, you're a colorectal surgeon. So when you do that resection, you want to divide at the sacral promontory. You don't want to go into the rectum. You don't want to do any mobilization, no proctectomy, um, because that inflammation will usually resolve itself once you take the colon out. When you do your resection on the right, you want to resect the ileum flush with the IC valve. Um, you want to retain all of the vessels there. Um, I don't love a drain, Dave. Drain? Yes. <laughs> yeah, we we would. Well, you mean a rectal drain, right? I think you said. Were you putting it transanal? Like, were you putting it, stenting it through the anus? Yeah, that was my thought. Like, I thought it was going to be tripped up for like a rectal stump blowout. So, we, you hate your patient. Can you okay, imagine? so it, in in my own practice, I probably. You know, like if the rectum looked good, I'd leave it alone. I just over sew it. But I, I just thought you guys were going to give me a rectum. The rectum is not going to look good. The rectum is okay. never going to look good. The rectum is going to be severely inflamed. You're still going to okay. do nothing to it. If you say that you're going to over sew it, your examiner is going to have you do a rectal blowout. Things you can do are implant the end of it into the fascia so that mm -hmm. if it does leak or inflammation opens the suture or staple line, um, then it makes itself into a mucus fistula. I, I would tell you that I, I'd say both options are okay. It's standard practice for all of us at Leahy to leave rectal drains um, in this scenario. So uh, it's not wrong to say it or it's not wrong not to, but uh, I think you just have to have a plan. That's what they're yeah. looking for. It's like, how are you going to manage the stump? It's also okay. You know, the other thing is, like, you could, um, the, what we actually do is uh, we would do intra-op scope and assess for how bad the proctitis is in the rectum and whether the mucosa or whether the submucosa is still intact or are you looking at muscularis. If you're looking at muscularis, then we'll, we would do a buried mucus fistula. If we're not looking at muscularis, then you could just leave it and it's probably okay. Um, so, but just have something, something in your mind of like, this is what I would do and this is how I would manage it. And it's okay either way. Yeah. As we no matter what you do, they're going to question you and push you. So just yeah. have a reason why and stand by your guns. You have the knowledge base. Don't be pushed off of your plan. But otherwise, yes. I thought it would be great. And they're going to give you this scenario. There's a reason that we did two back-to-back -back UC pouches. They're going to ask you how you do this. They're going to give you a pouch that doesn't reach. So know the steps. Know them succinctly. I'm going to do this, 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 this. And you did the safe thing. I'm going to put the pouch into the pelvis and come back in six months. The patient's obese, have them lose weight, have a plan, do the safe thing. Yeah, so um, you, you have, um, to echo some of Deb's comments, you have very, very good um, um, cadence. Um, you went through, you were thoughtful, you were decisive when you were supposed to be, uh, you asked questions when you were supposed to, you, you made it through the scenarios uh, pretty quickly. Um, I would caution maybe just a little bit on the overconfidence side in, at times, uh, you're a little quick on, uh, to pull the trigger at the beginning of the first scenario where you were, I think one of the first things you said was, okay, total proctocolectomy with J pouch. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. I just, you know, so you were, I think you're a little quick out of the gate and that's okay. Again, you're, you're not in your rhythm yet. Cause you only had, you didn't have a chance to get in your rhythm. 
And that's, you're going to have a first room and a first case. So uh, just kind of recognize that in yourself to try to fall into pace. Um, you didn't ask the best history questions in the first scenario. You kind of jumped around a little bit. You could, again, going back to the order of things, um, you know, I'd want to know, okay, she's on steroids and Remicade now. Has she failed other biologics, right? They would kind of want to know that. Is this her first biologic? Well, then going right to surgery is not according to guidelines. You want to try something else. Um, and then we didn't talk about this, but how do you know it's UC? Was there any suspicion of Crohn's disease at any point? And you didn't verbalize that. And I think they were looking for you to do that also. Um, those are my uh, those are my additional comments there. The the technical stuff, I agree. Um, you handled the the pouch not reaching per perfectly. You said all the right things there, um, and that was all good. And then when I made it toxic colitis, you did it perfectly. I was a little worried you were not going to do a three step uh, a three stage. You were talking about a two stage, and then you slowed yourself down and did three. So I'm, I was glad you didn't fall into that trap. You were really excited for that pouch, so yeah. Yes, you're like, oh, I got, oh yeah, I was hoping for a pouch question <laughs> I could tell. Um, but that was good. You definitely passed that scenario. No critical fails. So that was good. Next case. This is a tough case. This is a really tricky scenario. Um, but this is very realistic because they might. I I kind of call this like the pinball scenario. This isn't just taking you through a disease and letting you work through the process. This is bouncing you around with four or five different versions of the same theme. And, and it basically, it's, it's supposed to put you on your toes uh, and throw you off a little bit. And it did a, a little bit, but you held your ground and, and you, didn't, you didn't fall off. And uh, that was really good. I think you handled it well. Um, but this is where the technique that I mentioned of of summarizing, I think would really be helpful to set your mind and then the examiner's mind. Okay. Oh, so now you're asking me on how to manage a high output ileostomy. Well, I would start with, we have a high out ileostomy protocol that begins with modium and then goes to step two, step three. And these are the things that we would do uh, in, in an orderly way. And then they'll bring you to the next one. Oh, now we're talking about management of a leak in a diverted patient. Okay, who's asymptomatic. Okay, well, this is what I would do. Um, and I think that can really help you kind of regain the ground under your feet before you dig into how you would tackle that variation on the feet. Um, you asked great questions at the very beginning, genetics and staging for the cancer. Um, you may have gotten thrown off a little bit, and, and I think there was maybe a little bit of confusion because I think Deb had said stage four cancer. Um, but then there was no metastatic disease that may have thrown you off a little bit. I think that was a little mistake on our end, maybe, uh, or inconsistency, perhaps. I don't know. Um, and I think you didn't ask where the cancer was. So locally advanced disease abutting was going to be. Right. Okay. And I actually got that scenario. They were telling me it was right at the sacral promontory, maybe rectum, maybe sigmoid. So technically stage four, but not light, but no longer liver meth. So, yeah. And then uh, I think the big thing you missed there was she needs chemo, chemo. And, uh, before the next thing. You never said chemo. You said I would discuss it with MedOnc and Radonc and tumor board. So at least you said that because hopefully your MedOnc would say, hey, um, examinee too, you need chemo uh, or she needs chemo. And so you, you saved yourself from fail by saying that. But they were really looking for you to say, oh, 
this is an unexpected advanced cancer diagnosis. We can't proceed with the J pouch until we adequately stage and, tr and treat the cancer. And she was going to need systemic chemotherapy that we would give her before I would do the J pouch. And then once she gets her chemo, then we'll assess for response. And if it seems appropriate, then we could still go ahead and do the J pouch, but after she's received her treatment. That's the answer. Yeah. And that, and that's what you could have said more succinctly. And I think you got yourself into a little bit of a log jam there in your head. Um, and then you got out of it when we changed the scenario, but I think that was a little trip up there. Um, body language and posture is important. Um, I would just comment that you have a very um, confident um, body positioning maybe a little bit too much for Zoom. Some people might look at the examinee leaning into the camera so much as maybe a little bit like too aggressive. I, I don't know. It's hard It's hard to, I, I'm just making that point because we all have, we're in this new world of like, how do you make yourself Zoom confident without being too confident, which is totally different than actually being in a room with someone. So you got to think about these things of your camera angles and how you're sitting in relation to your camera. And maybe try it a couple of times, record yourself and watch a few different versions of you talking and decide which one you, you want to be your persona um, in the exam. So. And I, I would say that you did great also. Um, I wasn't bothered by your body language, but you never know what's going to bother someone and what they're going to try to break you on and just stay with your exam, stay with your knowledge base and keep going. Questions I asked were tough. The way I asked them is tough. Um, and that's on purpose because you never know who you're going to get um, and what their, their methodology is going to be of you know, examining you. And, you know, these were tough questions. You did a great job with it, but chemo. And you did a great job with changing the scenarios because that's what they're going to do. You are going to be prepared to answer a question. You were prepared to answer pouch questions. When cancer was thrown at you, that threw you off, but you, you, know, you got your footing back and then you answered all the other changes well. So this is going to be in all of the rooms. There's going to be at least six scenarios and two examiners, and they're going to keep changing it up. You're not going to know when you've passed. They're going to keep throwing questions at you. So just keep going. Yeah. And, and you did a really good job with that because um, it's so easy. And this is, this is why, this is what happens when people fail is that, um, they, if they did each scenario in isolation, they probably would have been fine. But if one scenario goes bad, then it's a domino effect and they can't get their head past that scenario that they messed up. You can flunk a scenario in a room and still pass the room. Um, and you have to remember that. So you have to, and this is, this is a mental exercise that you just have to practice. You got to keep going. You got to forget about that last one and just focus on what's in front of you now. Um, and that's how you prevent a bad situation from getting worse. Um, you know, we did two and stopped for time constraints, but just remember, I think it's three per room, um, I, I, I think. Um, and, and it goes quick. And, you know, those eight minutes are real fast. And, and they may actually cut you off and go to the next one in six minutes or less. It might seem too fast, which is usually a good sign. Um, but, uh, but just, you know, this is realistic kind of timing. Can I ask you guys what you would have? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. I'd love to hear your thoughts on, uh, your second, third line, um, treatments for pouchitis. Uh, so, so 
if antibiotics don't work in my practice, I send them to the IBD gastroenterologist. Um, because, so, but, but yeah, you can do the, um, what's the really good probiotic? Um, LIS3 or something? Yeah. DSL3. There it is. DSL3, yes. Yeah. You can do that. You can use the biologics off-label for for that but that that's why i get the ibd gis involved personally in my you practice. did the right thing by making sure it wasn't crohn's that was the kid yes. critical key thing there absolutely would you also like rule out c diff yeah so that was what i was yeah. looking for in the second study when you came in didn't do any stool studies on the patient so mm. you want to make sure it's not any infectious disease Right. Can I ask, um, he had, he had originally not done a high ligation on the, with the IMA for the, then that turned into a cancer. How would you have, was that, I thought that's why you were, you were trying to pinpoint him on, um, I guess, how would you guys have managed that or answered that? Because that not, was in the back of my mind. Um, I wouldn't have done anything different going back in for the pouch, but I would have given chemo. Yeah, I, I think in, in reality, that's all you can really do in that case. I mean, we don't really go back in for the mesentery. Um, that would probably be the wrong answer uh, on the boards. Um, you, But you could even say, you know, the real trick, I mean, if they give you a stage three or stage four, it's easy. They need chemo. The real trick would be if they gave you stage one or two, and then you say, well, gee, uh, I also have to be worried that I did an inadequate lymphadenopathy. So even though it only looks like stage one or two, I'd be worried that I didn't get enough nodes. And that's what you do. If it flip it to a cancer case, if they say you only got six nodes in your specimen, what do you do? You give chemo. Um, and so that's what I probably would have said there if it was an early stage cancer. Off label, if you have an older patient, somebody over 50 that comes in with a stricture, or an obstruction on the left side, you are going to do a high ligation just to be sure, because you're going to have a higher suspicion for cancer in that patient. And you can say that, don't let them read your mind, say, I'm going to do a high ligation just in case this is cancer for this diagnosis in this patient. So something that was said in one of the other scenarios, you can give IV contrast with elevated creatinine. There's research that's evolved in the last year over that. It's just a little point, but again, you never know what the examiners are going to latch on to. Awesome. Thank you so much um, for everyone for joining us. I know we want to be respectful of your guys' time too. Um, yeah, if there's any last minute questions, by all means, please, everybody ask. But we want to thank everyone for joining tonight. We had an extremely um, well-attended event today. And a special thank you to our examiners, Dr. Keller and Dr. Kleiman, of course, for their expertise and time. And then our two examiners, Examinee 1 and Examinee 2. Um, we'd also like to thank, <coughs> excuse me, the ASCRS Young Surgeons Committee. Um, Dr. Jennifer Davids uh, heads this committee and helped to organize and connect um, us with our examinees and our examiners today. Um, this committee also does some great work with mock oral sessions at ASCRS, and we hope to continue to collaborate with them down the road. Um, and thank you to our partners with uh, Behind the Knife for hosting with us tonight. Um, and uh, on behalf of the Colorectal Virtual Series uh, Leadership Committee, thank you for everyone for joining us today and for um, Everybody participate. Until next time, dominate the day.